2: Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it.
0: Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts.
2: From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Thursday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, we really don't need research to reveal that many Americans are ready for a vacation. In fact, some of you told me you couldn't wait to hit
1: the road. My wife and I have gotten our shots, and so we're going to travel. Of course, we're going to practice social distancing and everything. So we're going to be in the car, and we're going to enjoy the economy opening back up. and we want to contribute to it. We're going to save up and enjoy what Florida has to offer.
2: Well, you go to Florida, that means the more traveling, perhaps the more folks will need a place to stay. Coming up, we'll have a conversation about how the short term rental giant Airbnb plans to keep hosts, renters, and surrounding communities safe this summer, and a conversation with Doug Hooker from the ARC. But first, this President Joe Biden will be in Georgia today for a visit marking his first 100 days in office. His first stop, well, he's going to head down to Plains, Georgia, where he'll meet with a familiar person 96 year old former president and Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter. The two have a long history. Back in the 1970s, Biden, was the first U.S. senator to endorse Carter's run for the White House. And, of course, then Carter returned the favor and endorsed Biden. Now, after his visit with President Carter, Biden will hold a drive-in rally at Infinite Infinite Energy Center in Duluth at 6 p.m. today. Then Air Force One takes off from the Gwinnett County Airport in Lawrenceville, which means there could be traffic. So stay home. In other news, more than 89 million Americans are now fully vaccinated against the coronavirus. That's according to the latest data from Johns Hopkins University. Now here in Georgia, the number is not that big, obviously. More than 5.9 million vaccines have been administered. And right now we're about 24% of all Georgians are fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, yesterday we had about 100 new cases of the coronavirus that were recorded. So the total number of cases confirmed, and we're going to keep count since last year, is 877,816. And also, check this out. In the past 14 days, the average number of new cases in the state, well, it's been declining. That's all according to the Georgia Department of Health. And that's good news. This is Closer Look. I know that you all know, here on the program, we've adopted an approach to covering five core areas. Education, health and wellness, housing, transit and mobility, and workforce development. And of course, these aren't the only topics we cover, but we also know that at the intersection of all this is our quality of life, right? And that's why we cover a lot of these segments. And we also realize that all of these are intrinsic values when it comes to what a city has to offer to its residents. Take a listen to this.
3: It is time for Atlantans to get a clear vision and the conviction of what is necessary and what is possible to to set a successful course for our future. It is time for us to begin to focus on the regional challenge, solutions to our regional challenges, which if left unchecked will block our potential to become a great 21st century city. Things such as regional transit, affordable walkable communities, and world-class public education that's widely accessible.
2: See, we're on the same page. That's the Atlanta Regional Commission's Executive Director, Doug Hooker, back in 2015 in a TED Talk. And the talk, Reshaping Cities Through Innovation and Imagination, focused on Atlanta's taking bold moves to push the city forward. Well, Doug Hooker has led the ARC since 2011, but recently announced he's going to retire in March of next year. And he joins me now to discuss Atlanta's changing economic infrastructure, his career, accomplishments, challenges, And what lies ahead, not only for him, but also the commission, Doug Hooker, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking the time.
3: Thank you, Rose. So glad to be here.
2: Everybody has emailed me or on Twitter or on LinkedIn or Facebook. They're like, Doug's great. (laughs) (laughs) Doug's awesome.
3: (laughs) They're very kind.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Let's begin here. How do you define the city of Atlanta from a quality of life view? I mean, where it is right now, how would you define it? If someone asked you, Doug, tell me about Atlanta. What does it offer to its residents?
3: I think Atlanta offers a wonderful balance of uh, accessibility to a wonderful natural environment, not very far from the city—mountains or the beach, forests, natural parks—and uh, job opportunities for those who uh, need or are seeking employment and to have long-term careers. Uh, and We used to have affordability. I'm afraid we're rapidly losing that, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, but uh, I think there's so much here. It's a a lot of cultural amenities, a lot of wonderful neighborhoods, uh, but it has its challenges, and I think it offers opportunities for those who care to get engaged in helping to address those opportunities, and that's one, one of the wonderful things I love about this city. It's open to new people making their contribution.
2: In terms of how far this city is, has come, uh, Atlanta Mayor Maynard Jackson had a vision for this city. I know that you know that. And every every successor in line has always used his platform, or at least they have say they're using his platform, to continue what Atlanta could be or should be. Um, what do you make of that? Because I've heard folks say, look, you know, what Mayor Jackson envisioned, you know, it was different, you know. And then you look at how far this city has progressed and everything that you just talked about in terms of what it offers and the challenges. Um, are we on the right track, so to speak, in terms of from what Maynard Jackson, would he how he envisioned this city to be?
3: You know, Rose, I, I do believe we're on the, the right track, but the challenges that we face still are very systemic. And I think, fortunately, the... uh protests and the actions of 2020 have awakened a lot of people to the systems and the systemic barriers to opportunity for low income and black and brown people and women uh, that have been in place for so long that a lot of people were not uh, opening their eyes to. And I think in that regard, we're still on the uh, the uh, track, the projection, the future that Maynard suggested we could be on. And we're, we're edging toward it uh, but I think with this increased awareness, we will get um, a lot more action to be closer to it as the next decade comes along. And, and then I hope that my success will be integral in helping uh, our neighbors, our friends and colleagues realize that we must act in this moment to fully realize that potential for all of us.
2: Doug, when you talk about realizing that full potential, because in that TED Talk, And you mentioned that in order for Atlanta to become a thriving 21st century city, you talked about regional transit, developing affordable and walkable communities and a world class education. But then again, you just said, look, we have to understand, too, at that intersection, when we talk about equity and racism, that has to be addressed as well. What's your response? What's your response to someone who says, is that up to city leaders? Is that up to the philanthropic community? Is that up to other entities it's a it's a holistic approach is what you're saying i think it's up to all of us
3: so i don't think anybody gets off the hook but i do say it's most importantly up to our community leaders whether political whether philanthropic business whatever to use their platform and their access to resources to call the rest of us into action and to help guide our conversations and our decisions so that we're maximizing the use of our resources to make the inequities in our city less inequitable. Um, so we all have a role to play in my in my mind.
2: Well, let me ask you this, and, and not to get too political, because if we're talking about sure. city leadership for a moment, and we know that there's a mayoral race coming up later this year. I'm not asking you to endorse anybody. But what are those qualities that are involved with city leadership, whether it's from the mayor or from the city council that you think is necessary to, to, to play a pivotal role in that, because they set a lot of policy and legislation. For example, when we talk about economic development and tax breaks and TADs and all this other stuff that developers seem to get, but there is always a negative or a sacrifice sometimes, and that's usually with communities of color. So what role does leadership play in this? talking about city leadership,
3: I think leadership has to uh, rally uh, community residents, not just voters, but community residents, and to focus on, we can't solve everything all at once. So what do we put our time, our attention, our resources to first? And to the extent that we are offering businesses and developers the opportunities for uh, tax supported development, we should also require them uh, to provide aspects of their developments that fill the needs of the communities where they're developing and the city's needs. But the council and the mayor and those candidates who would seek to be mayor need to lead a, a thoughtful community conversation about where are our priorities in trying to tackle inequities and realizing we can't solve it all. We can't solve it in one mayor's term or two terms if they have two terms. It's a long term play, but we have to have patience, persistence, and we have to have a goal and we have to have metrics. And then we measure our, our strategies and our policy making against those metrics in a way that it's transparent that the community can say yes we're making progress or now we're not making sufficient progress where we need to be
2: Those metrics that you mentioned what's number one
3: For me, uh, access to a job for mm-hmm. adults and access to quality education for young people uh, and those are hand in hand they're not one and two they are one and one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Because where there is no stable income for a household, children will suffer. Uh, Where there is no opportunity for quality education, adults in the long term will suffer. They go hand in hand. So, yes, access to affordable wages and access to quality education has to be first and foremost.
2: I got this from Twitter when asking if Atlanta was a 21st century. And the person writes, quote, we're already one fifth of the way through the century. and We're consistently 20 years behind on Highway infrastructure, don't get me started on ATL potholes. I don't see us being visionary in any way, shape, or form. Hashtag Atlanta native. Too much doom and gloom in that or understandable? <laughs> you know, I, 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 it's doom
3: and gloom for me. I'm an optimistic person. And yes, we have challenges. I don't know of a major metropolitan uh, area in the world that doesn't have challenges. And if you go someplace, there's their challenges maybe as much as ours, or they may be different than ours, but we all have them. Uh, So I I choose not to say I focus only on the challenge, I Mm -hmm. tend to focus on what are our opportunities to leverage our resources um, to improve and overcome those challenges or to mitigate them. Yeah, 21st century, we're far behind in transportation infrastructure. Our growth has far exceeded our investment. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think, and I believe that Changes in technology and changes in political will, we will get closer to where we want to be over the course of the next decade.
2: In the years you've been the executive director of the Atlanta Regional Commission and you all have been so instrumental in not only just research and analysis, you feel like you all have played some part of a positive role in helping shape some policy and legislation or at least allowing for those city leaders and other stakeholders to understand what the, the snapshot of this region looks like? Do you feel I proud do. of your work?
3: I, I, I'm very proud and not so much of me. I'm so proud of my team um, and my colleagues and how well we have worked together. Uh, we we took on working with uh, several community partners and eight different school districts to set up an organization called Learn for Life that before the pandemic was proving it's, the model was working to help improve education outcomes for children. We've done a lot of work to improve how we conserve water, and that was verified by the Supreme Court in the recent decision that they made uh, upholding Georgia's right to access to water. We are improving quality of life for South Metro residents through establishing and supporting creation of the Atlanta Aerotropics Alliance, and many other things. Uh, The uh, creation of the ATL, the Atlanta Transit Link uh, Mm -hmm. Authority for Regional Transit. We were instrumental in our research and policy development to help the uh, House and Senate form that entity and we've helped it get up and going. And, and all of those are long-term plays, but we think they're they're very positive plays and we're very proud that we've had a hand in those.
2: You mentioned the South side of town and Doug, you and I both know, I, I don't know when you, you know, I, I moved here in 96, so I'm, I'm not a native. Uh,
3: 72. <laughs> yeah.
2: I, I play one on the radio. Um, there you go. <laughs> but you and I, we all know the challenges and, and concerns with the South side of, of Atlanta and obviously in the West end too. When you look at those areas and what concerns do you have? I mean, you talked a little bit about, you know, some of the successes, but there's still pockets. We know there are pockets of poverty in those there areas.
3: Are, absolutely. There are extreme pockets of poverty. And you know what, Rose, I think one, the broader community becoming aware that you just can't let those people as sometimes, people have been wanting to say in the past, just have their lives. It's their fault. Mm -hmm. I think there's awareness now that their fault is certainly not the case. And there's a lot of things that need to be done to provide them access to systems, access to resources that historically they have been prevented from being able to leverage for their own good. And then they're also, they're not all bad. There are a lot of positives in those neighborhoods too, including the spirit of the people who stay and choose to stay and live there because there's something good there. And we have to help leverage that spirit, that willingness to fight on. Um, and we have to do it rapidly because the city is popular again and people are moving in town. And so gentrification is happening rapidly in neighborhoods that people five years ago wouldn't have even thought possible. And now it's happening. And I, I really get concerned for us not paying enough attention to what we need to do to be sure that legacy residents have the opportunity to stay there and contribute and have access to the growth as those neighborhoods begin to change the transition with new amenities.
2: So, But Doug, those communities... I could go on
3: for hours. I'm sorry.
2: No, and, and I understand that those commu- some some of those communities have been promised so much for so many years, especially after the the Olympics when I think it's, it's fair to say that we saw a lot of the, the, the real estate boom. We saw a lot of folks come down to Atlanta and say, oh, I got all this property I can buy and maybe hold on to it. Communities have been promised so much some of it has been positive i think i want to be fair about that but then also in 2021 we're still talking about community benefits we're still talking about getting developments and developers to contractually sign on and and to agree to do what they're going to say with these communities and it hasn't always happened doug
3: it hasn't um and i think that's where not having a community focus on equity and improving equitable outcomes in the past and having metrics by which we could hold elected leaders and other community leaders accountable Um, and also not sitting on the sidelines. None of us can afford to sit on the sidelines if we wanna see the change um, that we hope to to have. Uh, And so, yes, and we'll be here another 10 years and we'll still be having this conversation because even as we make progress, these are not problems that are gonna be solved in a generation, or maybe even two generations. But are we making sufficient progress to give hope, hope to those communities, hope to those residents, and hope to ourselves that we are becoming a better Atlanta, uh, the kind of beloved community that Dr. King envisioned and talked about.
2: In the time that you still will be executive director of the ARC, what are you hoping, and whether it's one of those metrics that you talked about that you all can, can provide some resource, some insight, that perhaps you can be you will have something that we can point to and say you know what this looks like it's going in the right direction are you optimistic you can do that
3: i, I am i am i, I always believe that until i walk out the last day the last hour that some things are possible and as there are two things in particular three things actually in particular that i'm i focus on how do we help our children through learn for life and help our school district partners get education back on track for children who've had a lot of learning loss during the pandemic, Two, how do we get workforce systems working better for people and Mm -hmm. retraining as a new economy that President Biden laid out uh, in his speech last night. Um, That's coming. How do we help residents be prepared to take advantage of that, Uh, particularly those who've not been able to be involved in the economy in a robust way in the past. And the third thing is several of my community partners and I won't name them right now, but several of my community partners and I are in a very serious conversation about how we might make equity stick as a community priority when it's no longer fashionable in the headlines. And I really believe and I'm optimistic that before the end of the year that we'll have something very positive to announce in that regard.
2: You are considered, you have been considered, you've always been considered what we call a leader in the Atlanta area. Um, What advice do you have for folks who want to maybe pick up the baton? And I don't know what you're going to be doing next year, that's my next question, but you know, (laughs) what do you say to them? Because everybody says, I want to be a leader, you know, I want to help my community.
3: Be a leader where you are. Don't worry about a position. You're not a leader because of a position. You're not a leader because of a title. You're a leader because of the vision you set, because of the people that you listen to, because of the community, the neighbors, the friends, the families you hope to serve. Uh, and leadership is a servant work. And if you're not prepared to serve, um, then you're not a leader. So if you want to be a leader, be start where you are and be a leader for a small group of people when the time is right and the circumstances are right, uh, the universe will call you into a higher leadership role. That's, that's who I believe. That's what I believe is, is fundamental about any aspect of, of leadership in life.
2: And where is the universe calling you for your next chapter?
3: <laughs> um, I'm stepping away from a job. I'm not stepping away from this community. I want to find ways to continue to serve it, uh, but not necessarily in a pay paying fashion. Um, and then also, I want to pursue my uh, personal, lifelong interest in music. Uh, in latter part of life, I've taken to continuing to study an instrument and to compose, and I want to do more of that and and study more about what it is I'm supposed to be doing
2: when I write music. Well, closer look could use a new theme song, Doug. <laughs>
3: I won't have You're any money to pay us. you,
2: but you know. <laughs>
3: hey, I won't be doing it for pay. Obviously, that's too, uh, you, I'll you be just said right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You uh, want to do it for the community, Doug.
3: There you go. Do there it, for, go.
2: <laughs> do it for the right. community.
3: <laughs> you let me know what you want. We'll work on that. <laughs> Doug
2: Hooker, the executive director for now for the Atlanta Regional Commission. Uh, will you have any input with your successor or are you going to leave that up to I, I don't think it's appropriate
3: for me. to do. That. I think that's for the board to do. The executive director works for the board. They don't work for me. Uh, I will offer them support and advice about what they might think about for the position. But that'd be their job. Figure out who that would be.
2: All right, Doug. Thank you so much. Best of luck to you. I really appreciate it.
3: Thank you so much. I appreciate what you do.
2: Thank you. All
3: right.
0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more.
2: And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Raise your hand if you need a vacation. Not you driving. In fact, some of our Closer Look listeners told me, yes, they need a vacation. And their summer plans include traveling.
1: Both my wife and I have gotten our shots, and so we're going to travel. Of course, we're going to practice social distancing and everything. So we're going to be in the car, and we're going to enjoy the economy opening back up. and we want to contribute to it. We're going to save up and enjoy what Florida has to offer. We're going out to Florida. We're driving. But this summer, we're hoping to go out of the country to the Caribbean, if that's possible. But we've been trying to get the vaccine. We haven't been able to get both vaccines yet, but we certainly would love to get the vaccines before we travel. You know, next month, I plan on going back to Michigan to see some family. really want to see my parents and my uncles and my grandparents um, and everyone got vaccinated and I'll be fully vaccinated. Me and some friends decided that we're going to head to Mexico and and kind of just enjoy and get away.
2: Y'all going to Florida? Mexico? Cool. According to a new report from TripAdvisor, more than 67 percent of Americans plan to travel this summer. And of course, Memorial Day is just weeks away. The report finds that hotel and lodging searches are on the rise as well. And now that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they have these latest guidelines easing up those masking restrictions for fully vaccinated people. Y'all are going to be all over the place, which means this summer will look nothing like last meaning a very busy summer. And that includes short-term rental companies such as Airbnb, which they've launched an eight-point plan called the Summer of Responsible Travel. And joining me now to talk more about this is Ben Bright from Airbnb's Public Affairs Department. Ben, thanks for taking the time.
4: Thank you so much. Great to be here. Where are you,
2: where are you, what are you doing this summer? Are you traveling? Where are you going?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm traveling all over the place and making up for all the weddings that were uh, that were postponed that I was supposed to be at last year. So should should be busy and should be on the road quite a bit. It's so exciting. You,
2: so when y'all hear folks are going to hit the road, they're traveling this summer. That is good for folks like you and your industry. How long have you been in this space?
4: Uh, so Airbnb was founded actually in, in the uh, in the midst of, of the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. So uh, just as President Obama was taking office, kind of a weird time to be uh, to be starting a a, a company. But uh, that that's those that's the origin story of 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 Airbnb. It was founded in San Francisco. Um, uh, just a, a few our, our co founders were just trying to make their rent. <laughs> yeah, by, by renting out a few airbeds on their floor, literally, mm-hmm. uh, dur- during a, a conference that came to town. And all these years later, we've got 5.6 million listings throughout the globe, including uh, quite a few in Atlanta.
2: You know, you all did report a, a revenue of $859 million for the fourth quarter of last year, but you did cite a loss. I imagine did the pandemic have a little bit to do with that?
4: Yeah, you know, it, it, a year ago at this time, it, it was a scary, it was obviously a scary moment for everyone for, for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, for those of us at, at the company for our host community, you know, travel literally stopped. Mm-hmm. It paused <laughs> uh, and, and it, it was just unclear, you know, what, what is this going to look like moving forward? Um, but as we began to learn more about, about this virus and, and how it spreads and, that there are ways to leave your home safely and responsibly if you're following that public health guidance. Um, you know, we started to see things pick up, people who wanted to get out of their homes, but wanted to be able to socially distance too. Um, you know, and when the CDC came out and said, look, if you're gonna travel, um, you know, the, the the safest way to do so appears to be in a vacation rental. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not so much in, uh, you know, a giant hotel with a huge lobby and you're sharing elevators, right? So. Um, we started to see a spike in people who wanted to get out of their homes, were able to do it safely and responsibly. We saw spikes in rural travel. Um, so people, I mean, Atlanta is always an incredible destination, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, people wanted to get off the beaten path, even out of cities. Um, so there have been some really fascinating trends as a result.
2: So are you saying if folks wanted to maybe check out more remote destinations?
4: Yeah, that, I mean, that that's where there's just a ton of growth going on. Uh, and I think we're going to continue to see that, even though there's now a light at the end of the tunnel. People are getting vaccinated, so um, that should hopefully be you know positive for you know more urban uh, you know big cities that have always been uh, great destinations, um, such as Atlanta, of course. Um, but I, I think you know the, the 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 trend of kind of rural staycations that's not going away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people have fallen in love with a lot of these communities, especially out near lakes, out in the mountains. Um, really skyrocketed in popularity.
2: That being the case, Ben, you all have, you have to give guidelines. Obviously, we know about the public health officials, but you all also have to give guidelines to your host. And now you have this new eight point plan, the summer of responsible travel. Uh, how did all this come about?
4: Sure. So, so, you know, it started in the wake of the pandemic, where you know we were trying to get guidance out to our hosts and to our guests on what is the way to to be able to travel responsibly. And of course, this is before the vaccine was was widely available. Um, so at the time, we actually brought aboard uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who is now the Surgeon General. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not at the time. This this was prior to the election. Um, so he was able to um, you know help us with with that guidance. And I think most importantly. Um, A a pretty uh, comprehensive cleaning protocol um, that, that we were asking in particular our hosts to adapt to and to follow and to their credit, you know they really stepped up. Uh, I think cleaning, you know, for anyone who's used Airbnb or short-term rentals before, and particularly for those who have hosted, cleaning has always been paramount. I mean, mm-hmm. if if you're if you're not doing the job on the cleaning front, even in normal times, you're not going to last very long. In our platform, really is the, is the reality. Um, but obviously, you know, everyone had to raise their game, mm-hmm. and there were kind of particular measures that um, that we were re- recommending and eventually began to mandate. Um, that they follow, and one unique one is just asking, hey, you know, if you're gonna be coming into contact with your guests for whatever reason, um, you need to be wearing a mask, just really mm-hmm. simple stuff like that, um, and, and, and just following the public health guide. And so some of this kind of predates um, the mm-hmm. vaccine being widely available, but as things are opening up, travel is coming back, um, you know, people are, are are getting, you know, hopefully immune from, from this horrific violence that has you know, just ravaged our entire country, including Atlanta. Um, You know, we still need to be following that that public health
2: guidance. Do you have a mask Um, for your dog, Ben?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah I, may, I may run back and uh he's, and, and it, take care of that your about. dog's fine it's okay it's, she, it's public radio so excited about it's, safe and responsible right. travel it's you know?
2: public radio yeah. we don't care about dog barking let me ask you this because <laughs> and, we, and we're talking about safety measures with ben bright he's public affairs with airbnb because it goes beyond obviously when we're talking about the coronavirus but you all have had another issue here and in this new plan i understand you're gonna you have something that you can hopefully prevent so-called Party houses. Now here in Atlanta, we've had city council members raise concerns over this. What do you all have in this eight point plan that addresses that?
4: Sure. So some of this is long term and some of this is really special for, for the upcoming summer. Um, we, we know that this is an issue uh, of concern, particularly in Atlanta, uh, in many ways predates Airbnb. But look, the reality is when 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 bars closed, when 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 clubs closed or at least were restricted, you know, so some of that behavior, you know, people didn't want to stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they attempted to take it to, to homes that they were renting. Um, so, we really had to step up. It's just not something we're going to tolerate. We ban parties. We just, it, we ban party houses, right? So, with that, we're talking about a home where, you know, it's happening over and over and over again. We're getting reports every weekend. Uh, that's not something we're going to tolerate, but also just straight up parties in general, messaging out to our guests look, if that's something you're trying to do, First off, maybe maybe don't, <laughs> maybe follow, you know, the advice of, uh, of, of of the public health officials, of the Atlanta officials and, and don't do that. Uh, but also there's gonna be really stringent measures that, that we're gonna take. We've even begun um, in, in certain cases, taking legal action against ho- against guests, uh, excuse me, who've thrown unauthorized parties, who mm-hmm. have violated both our rules, our host rules, um, you know, for the duration of, of, of much of the pandemic, the city's rules. Right. So, just not something we're going to tolerate. So,
2: Ben, how do you define party and then a gathering? And then also, sure, oh, I'll let you finish that. Go
4: ahead. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good because, you know, we, we've also set an occupancy cap at 16 people. Obviously, a, a, you know, a party or something disruptive can still happen with less than 16 people. We, we acknowledge that. So, uh, drawing the line at 16 has helped. Um, uh, get some clarity out mm-hmm. to our hosts and guests that uh, I don't care what you're doing. If it's over 16 people right now in this pandemic, not okay. Uh, and below that, look, it's just about respecting neighbors and, and just nothing disruptive is really the name of the game. So another thing we've rolled out is a 24 seven neighborhood hotline. Mm-hmm. Um, it's accessible at airbnb.com slash neighbors. And we encourage any neighbors to follow up with us. If there's anything we need to know about.
2: How do you make sure that folks aren't going to be unfairly profiled? As well, in terms of the guests,
4: hundred percent. And this this is something you know, and and um, you may already be aware of this, but you know, dating back to twenty sixteen, this first came you know became public. I think in a in a really big way. You know, the Airbnb While Black um, uh, hashtag, Mm -hmm. and it was a real formative moment for the company. Um, So, a few things that we've done. Um, in the wake of that, we're a beefed up non-discrimination policy. Uh, we've introduced a community commitment in addition to that. So it's on the front end as you're joining the platform. We're asking you to commit that yeah, basically you won't be racist. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little uh, uh, less blunt than that. Yeah, I mean, and if you're assuming folks without, will
2: say, like, I, I commit to not you know being someone who's but, racist. But you know but
4: what's whatever. interesting is there are uh, over 1.4 million people who have not, who have declined that community commitment because they couldn't accept that commitment. They were, we were asking them um, uh, to align with just saying that really? they could not act without absolutely. Over well, you 1. know, what? I guess four. that's
2: good. You, you yeah. want to know who doesn't want to commit to being a racist. hundred
4: percent. And those people are banned from Airbnb. And honestly, that is
2: words. wild right.
4: yeah, and that's, maybe so,
2: not surprising, Ben.
4: Totally. Totally. Um, so I, I think there's a lot more. One thing that, that we've done as well is we have taken away profile photos until the booking is accepted, right? So this is something that we were hearing um, from guests saying, look, when I'm trying to get a reservation, you know, my, my photo is evident and I feel like it may be a factor, right? So we took that away. Um, so uh, hosts are not seeing uh, that that profile photo until after the booking is already accepted. Um, I think there's a lot more on, on the way and we got a lot more work to do, but I, I think we're proud of what we've accomplished so far in the wake of uh, of that real formative moment in 2016.
2: Ben, as we wrap up, what have you all learned in terms of how the pandemic might change your industry, or you know, home sharing or home, you know, short-term rental industry as a whole? What are the lessons well, learned here?
4: 100. percent. I think what we've learned is travel is never going to be the same. Travel is never going to be the same. And additionally, I, I, you know, it, uh, talking about some of these rural destinations. That trend is not going away. I mean, I think people have fallen in love with a lot of these areas of the country that haven't traditionally been huge travel hubs. So that's number one. But also the way work is changing, where you're going to see a lot more flexibility, a lot more people able to work remotely. We're seeing a lot more folks who are just kind of booking Airbnbs for a month or two and just kind of living elsewhere, uh, living and working. Mm -hmm. I did it myself along with my wife, uh, for, for two weeks back in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, and, and we loved it. So I think that's a trend that's not going away as well.
2: All right. Ben Bright with Airbnb's public affairs department. We'll have a link to your eight point plan for the summer of responsible travel. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Um, what's your dog's name?
4: Her name is Bree. <laughs> Bree, All right. Gee. yeah,
2: fairly behaved. We'll go with that. So what?
4: Uh, yeah, a L- little bit of hiccup, <laughs> but we appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>
2: Thank you, Ben, for taking time. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. And if you missed any of today's program, it's. Online, it's always online at wabe.org/slash closer look, and of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like because it will be there. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Ro Scott.